the teaching ministry of Judah Olorimaye, a man called of God to compel consecration, provoke repentance, and inspire worship by the preaching and teaching of God's word and the miraculous demonstration of God's power. God's word is about to hit you as light and strength. Get ready for an encounter with grace. Is the conversation this evening? James chapter 5 and verse 16 to 18. James chapter 5 and verse 16 to 18. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth but the space of three years and six months. And they prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth a fruit, just so that there are no assumptions. Please, let's read it in another version, so that we can really know who we are talking about here. Any other version? Any other would do. The NLT says, confess your faults to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. When he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. So we are talking about Elijah, a man of God. Let us quickly pray. Lord, we look up to you with expectation of heart. We don't just want this to be yet another sermon. We want to be Want it to be a means of you touching us, healing us, reaching out to us, igniting our souls again. Let it be so according to our desires. By your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Elijah, a man of God. Many Christians consider the man Elijah as a very unkind, unloving wicked and hostile person. I've heard it in several sermons, in several statements, especially in a bid to affirm the reality of love and grace and mercy. This is a man that is to an extent controversial amongst many believers but we must submit to the report of God's word about him. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. In studying the patriarchs, we want you to please emphasize what the scriptures emphasizes. Anybody can look at Abraham and say Abraham was a liar and he has proof 
from the Bible. You can say Abraham was a coward. He has proof from the Bible. You can say Abraham was a doubter. He has proof from the Bible. What are his proofs? The Bible said Abraham lied, called his own wife his sister. The Bible said Abraham pretended as though he was the brother to Sarah, cowardice. The Bible says he laughed or doubted rather when he was told he was going to have a child. However, those accounts are not sufficient descriptions for the man's life and ministry. Because in reading about him in the Hebrew account, Roman account, Galatian account, none of those writers or none of those letters, Paul wrote most of them, not all of them, attributed or called him a liar or a doubter or a coward. So let's stay with what the Bible says about these people. You can look at David as if he's a murderer and committed adult or is an adulterer. In a sense, that's, that's true in a sense, but to now make it look as though that's the summary of his life, that would not be conforming to the sentiments of scriptures. Are you listening to me? You can look at Moses and say, he has anger problem, Mr. Angry. He says, speak to rock, he went to go and touch rock. But that's not a fair judgment on his person and his ministry. <laughs> so, in considering the man Elijah, let us be coming down a little bit and just try to ask, how does the Bible describe this man? Does the Bible speak about him in a negative light? Does the Bible speak about him in a positive light? Some of you, if you were to give your verdict about Judas, you say, ah, maybe he was hungry, that's why 30 pieces of silver. What was his issue? Maybe he was hungry. Jesus, no, Jesus always fasting and praying, fasting and praying. But learn to just accept what the Bible says about a man. Are we following here? The Bible paints a man in a negative light. Don't try to, with your work philosophy, try to paint him positive. If the Bible paints a man in a positive light, no matter how you think, ah, this person, ah, that person, just submit to the word of God. You know if you know pass Bible. Amen. Yeah. So I'm saying all of that because of course this man is even hot cake in the news in recent times because some of the sentiments that are echoed against his name. The good news is that all of us will go to heaven hopefully and meet this Elijah. So all the things people are saying at his back <laughs> I hope they will be able to say to his face it's Elijah, who would they talk like say, you know, you know, Sabi love, you know, Sabi mercy. But there's an account in scripture which seems to be the basis for many of the seeming backlash or backlashes against this man of God, Elijah. Luke chapter 9. Let us look at the account here that is often used as a basis to seemingly rubbish this man's ministry. Luke chapter 9. Where are we going now? Chapter verse 51 should be. Verse 51. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. This is Jesus about to be received in a particular town. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him. Okay, I have to be very quick because I need to do a double reference in here. So, they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. 
And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, will thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you are of. Now, so there are two accounts. Okay, verse 56. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. So this scenario has been used many times to rubbish the ministry of Elijah as though he came to destroy people's lives. Let it be clear, Jesus was not saying Elijah was a life destroyer. You need to really read between the lines to understand the conversation closely. But there are two events where this man of God called down fire. The first seems to be an appreciated act. The second is not too welcome. The first was upon a sacrifice. The second was upon two batches of soldiers. So let's see that event in 2 Kings chapter 1. 2 Kings chapter 1, that's the one that seems to be the issue. We need to be quick with our reading here, please. All right, let's just read. Then Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Hiab, and Ahaziah fell down through a lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria and was sick. And he sent messengers and said unto them, Go, inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. Then the angel of the Lord, please note, angel of the Lord, said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say unto them, Is it not because there is not a god in Israel that you go to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? And therefore thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And Elijah departed. And when the messengers turned back unto him, he said unto them, Why are you now turned back? And they said unto him, There came a man up to meet us, and said unto us, Go, turn again unto, thy, unto the king that sent you, and say unto him, Thus says the Lord, Why it was seven, you already know what was said. And they said unto them, What manner of man was he which came up to meet you and told you these words? They answered him, He was an airy man, and girt with a girdle of leather belt, or rather leather about his loins, loins. And he said, That is the king said, That must be Elijah, the Tishbites. Then the king sent unto him, that is unto Elijah, a captain of fifty, which is fifty. And he went up to him, and behold, he sat on top of an hill. Are we still together here? Yeah? Now, this is here, you need to be very, very careful. And he spake unto him, Thou man of God, the king has said, Come down. Look at verse 10. Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, If I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy 50. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him. And Again, also he sent unto him another captain of fifty, that is the king, with his fifty. And he answered and said unto him, O man of God, thus as the king said, Come down quickly. Elijah answered and said unto them, If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And, I, and the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Verse 13. And he sent again a captain of the third. 50, which is 50. 
And the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and besought him and said unto him, O man of God, I pray thee, I beg thee, I beg, I did beg, I beg now, let my life and the life of these 50 thy servants. You see, sometimes the person leading you can determine whether you live or not. Some common sense leadership skills, some negotiation wisdom. Life should not be difficult. You don't have to be roasted. Amen. Amen. I pray thee, let my life and the life of these 50 thy servants be precious in thy sight. Behold, there came fire down from heaven and burnt up the two captains of the former 50s with their 50s. Therefore, let my life now be precious in their sight. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Be not afraid of him. And he arose and went down with him. If you read the third episode, you will agree that Elijah was not wicked. Elijah was not wicked. Elijah was not brutal. But what was the issue? From Luke chapter 9, we see Jesus scold his apostles for trying to call down fire like Elijah did. Is that clear? Yes, so, we agree that Jesus told his apostles that what they were thinking about was not proper because he said you don't know the spirit that you are supposed to have. That statement, you don't know the spirit, meant a couple of things. Number one, in our dispensation, in our current scheduling of events, that is not the right approach. In no way was Jesus rebuking Elijah because in the day Elijah called down fire, it was okay at that time. Are you following me? It was a timing issue. If Elijah was Peter or James and John and they swapped the roles, the instruction from Jesus or the rebuke from Jesus would not be the same. At the time Elijah called down fire from heaven, it was appropriate. And I was going to explain why. But for the apostles, it was not it. Jesus did not rebuke Elijah. Jesus rebuked the apostles for trying to do what Elijah did. Just like if you want to offer your only son as a sacrifice. Me. Every thinking person will rebuke you. Even if you say, just like Abraham did, we will say, yes, during Abraham's time, it was legit. Are you following? But not now. The times have changed. The seasons have changed. Do not suggest that if I say that to you, I am insulting Abraham. I am calling Abraham a canyon. It's to misunderstand scriptures. Jesus was not insulting Elijah, was not rebuking his ministry, was not saying Elijah was a wicked person who tried to kill people. No. He was telling the apostles, this is not how we rule now. We have a different spirit because we are in a different dispensation. We have a different approach and attitude to things. Are we clear on that now? Now, so back to this event that we have read of in 2 Kings chapter 1. Why does a man roast 50 soldiers twice? What is the rationale behind such outrageous behavior? Once again, the Bible is not some Hollywood documented material. We cannot view it with a liberal perspective. The liberal perspective suggests anywhere there is death and destruction, it is evil, it is bad, it is wicked, it is not righteous. Let it be clear that Elijah is just being victimized. Elijah was not the first person 
to even call destruction on people. Moses had done it a couple of times. Are we still together? David had, with his own swords, gone to war. There were several other kings who had gone and destroyed people by the instructions of God. To victimize Elijah because he called down fire from heaven, it's not, it's just, you're just, you're just, you're just, I mean, it's not fair. To make it look like anywhere there's destruction and death is evil. Uh-huh. Elijah was not the first person to kill people. Let's not make it look like he was the first person. Just because he used supernatural fire instead of natural fire. Let's not blackmail him. Some people have suggested that, well, what actually happened was that Elijah was a powerful man and anything he did, anything he did rather, God would approve of it. That's true in some sense. But you need to follow the conversation closely. Elijah called down fire from heaven. He said, if I am a man of God. That's a very indicting statement. Not just on Elijah, but on God and heaven. It shifts the attention from Elijah. You cannot just say Elijah called down fire from heaven. Like seriously. What happens to God sends fire? What happened to the angels of God hacking to the voice of Elijah and heeded his cry? So some people have begun to say, well, God gave Elijah free rule. Anything he said was law. But that's not exactly or entirely true. Because when Elijah spoke like this, he brought God and heaven into the equation. If I am a man of God, in other words, I was also in the implication of man of God. If truly, truly God is with me, God sent me. If truly, truly I'm representing God, let fire fall from heaven. Let it be clear that if you were the one, you might have not probably done the same thing. Maybe in cowardice you will have said, Oh, king, here am I. Take me. Now, let me ask you a question. If the soldiers arrested Elijah, what do you think they would have done with him? They will have killed him. So some of you will have preferred Elijah to die so that you'll be a nice guy. You think a king that is serving Beelzebub or Baal who is consulting another idol when he's sick, you think that kind of king will spare God's prophet? So if they had caught him, they won't be playing Ludo on the road. He's to cut his head like they did to John the Baptist. And the man's ministry was not yet finished. There were certain things he had not yet accomplished. So he said, if I'm a man of God, you call me a man of God, right? If I'm a man of God, let fire come from him. Let it be clear, that was not his, his original intention. Elijah did not go about hunting for soldiers to kill. The third scenario shows us that another captain came and used wisdom and said, sir, the king wants you to come. We are servants of the king. But we know that you, now you be the real organa master. Please, don't roast us. Just come and see the king. The king cannot touch you. Now you, Elijah. Ah, Elijah levels. Probably you are thrown chariots over here. This king cannot kill you. Just show face. Even the king himself is sick. Show face. Elijah said, okay, okay, okay. Elijah said, you get sense. He came down. You know, Elijah was not a murderer looking, hunting for blood. However, in the day where somebody attempted, dead, to ridicule his office, one, and then ridicule the name of God. Let it be clear here that what was at stake was actually the government of God 
not the personal security of Elijah. What do I mean? Elijah had become God's man. In other words, he had become God's branch office on the earth. And the attempt to touch Elijah was an attempt to spite God. At this point, God was not even respected. Even on sickness, the king would go and meet an idol to ask, will I live or will I die? Elijah said, ah, there's, no, there's no God in Israel. You want to consult a babalawo? Ah, so you people don't even have respect for God again. Okay. That's what he said. He said you would die. He, did, he, he, he passed the verdict. And then they now say, go and bring him. Ah, ah. Go and bring him. First of all, you did not acknowledge God in Israel. Then the prophet of God said they should go and bring him. It was not just Elijah or Elijah's life and ministry at stake. It was the power of God, the government of God, the reputation of God. What was Elijah protecting? Oh, Elijah was protecting God's name when he said, if I am a man of God. Are we clear now? Let it be clear that in the days of Elijah, the penalty for rebellion and idolatry was death. Elijah was not doing anything different when he says, 50 of you and your captain came to meet me to arrest me. Meaning that you have no regard for my office, which means that you have no regard for the God I serve. Meaning that you have more regard to your king who serves an idol. Now, just to show the superiority, every time Elijah called fire, it was to show the superiority of God over idols. The first scenario in 1 Kings 18, he said, if Baal is Baal, let us worship. If Baal is God, let us worship him. If Jehovah is God, let us worship him. And he says, whoever answers by fire, let him be God. Are we clear now? Every time Elijah did anything like that, it was to affirm the superiority of God. So the issue was God's reputation was at stake. And Elijah was his man. And in that time, it was legit for those who rebel against God, those who serve other idols, to actually go through the wrath of God, which was death. Not seem strange. Not saying nobody should make it. Elijah was a wicked man. Elijah was killing people. That's not how it is. We know that one of the purposes of the law was to show the consequence of sin. If people had the consequence of sin and see how sin causes death, then they will have the fear of God. So the third captain now borrowed sense. I will not be roasted. I refuse to be roasted. The king sends me, yes. But I know that beyond the king, there's a government of heaven. So even though this king sent me, I'll be very smart. And that was that. Everybody lived. Procedure. Is that well taken, please? So when you speak of Elijah, particularly from this conversation, let there be no suggestion that he was a wicked man. You know, he was just calling fire down like it was a a movie or a game. This man was actually defending God's name. That's why the clause is, if I be a man of God, let's fire for. If I say, if I be a man of God, let sin happen. What the reaction will be from you or from the audience is that you will reveal the God that I serve. That's the reaction. That's the intention of that act. You would acknowledge him that, oh, okay, Baal is not 
Jehovah. Jehovah is not anybody's meat. And of course, we see clearly that that was established in the heart of the third captain. Okay. This is something that um, I should not dwell too much on. So let us make progress here. So I've said all of that so that we can establish the legitimacy of this man's patriarchal status. Should I learn from Elijah? Yes. Uh -huh. What should I learn? How to call down fire on people's head? No. How to defend God's name? Hmm? So I expect if somebody harms you or threatens you, you can say, if I am a man of God, for every insult you give me, I will bless you. That's, your, that's the error that you are in. It's legit like that. You understand that now? But to now say, hey, I'm not like Elijah, a wicked Elijah. I don't call that for your people's head. It's water I put on their head. You, you don't know anything. So, this man should be learned from, should be studied, and not in a negative light, in a very positive light. Okay, okay, okay. Are we still together here? So that phrase, if I be a man of God, is what captures my attention and captures my fancy, which I want to use to explain the lessons from this man. What does it mean to be a man of God? Is it talking about just the ministerial reality? When Elijah says, if I be a man of God, does that disqualify people sitting on the pew? Does that suggest the lessons are only ministerial? No. Look at the phrase closely. Especially when you combine it with James 5.17. Just in case you think everything Elijah achieved was because of his prophetic office, the Apostle James now explains and says, he was a man of like passions like us. In other words, he was a regular human being like us. He was human as we are. Don't think that the prayers of Elijah were more potent because he was a prophet. No. Don't think the prayers of Elijah were potent because he was a man of God in the sense of he was a prophet who occupied an office of ministry. Don't disqualify, disqualify yourself from the lessons of this man because you think I'm not a ministry, I'm not a man of God, I'm not a woman of God. Uh -uh. When we say a man of God, what do we mean? The first thing here, Elijah as a man of God was a man that represented God's interest. A man that represented God's interest. Whose interest are you representing? Now, for instance, if you work for GTB and GTB sends you on an official assignment, say go and negotiate a deal with NMPC. When you go, you are GTB's man. You are a man of GTB. Do you understand that now? You are representing the interest of GTB when you go. So you will be treated not as Judah Lomaye, you will be treated as GTB. Are you following me here? When you speak and you say, this is our proposal, you are tending the proposal not of a personal man, but you are tending the proposal of an organization. So when we say Elijah, a man of God, it's not ministry per se. It's talking about a life that represents God's interest, which you as a Christian are supposed to do too. You're supposed to represent God's interest. You're supposed to represent God's interest. Unfortunately, many Christians are chasing personal agenda and they are not representing God's interest. They are representing their own interest. But when we say a man of God, 
We are talking about the man who is representing God's interest. If you are a man, say, I'm a man of God. If you are a woman, say, I'm a woman of God. doesn't mean that we are calling you pastor or preacher. No. It means that when we see you, we expect that when you begin to behave, you begin to act, you are representing God's interest. So the question is, when you do what you do, whose interest are you representing? That status you are sharing, whose interest are you representing? That party you are going, whose interest are you, are you representing? The way you are dressed, the way you carry yourself, your behavior and demeanor in public, whose interest are you representing? Uh-huh. I'm a man of God. That's not mean I'm a preacher. It means I represent God's interest. Above my interest, above your interest, above societal interest, above my family's interest, God's interest. His agenda is my agenda. That's how Jesus was. His family thought he was just another carpenter's son. He told them, Mom, Dad, I must go about doing my father's business. I came here as a man of God. Or maybe in his context, a boy of God at age 12. Around the same, even at that tender age, the young boy recognized the fact that he was supposed to represent a divine agenda. Don't live your life for your interests. Don't live your life for yourself. Don't live a life that is just about your personal agenda. There's much more God wants to do with you if you can live as a man of God. It will affect every decision. Marital decision is not about my personal pleasure alone. Personal pleasure is there too, but I'm thinking about God's interest. How will God benefit from this marriage? How many children I have is not just a function of my own personal agenda. You want to have 12 children so that one wash your car, one wash your kitchen, one wash your... Have you ever thought about how many of them will be used by God, will be servants of God, and if they are too much, will I have time to train them in the way of God? Because it's all about producing godly seeds. Have you thought about that? Or you want to do big family photo, like the one you saw on Instagram. And then six years, six years, you and your wife in the middle. Tribe of Judah. Is that, what, is that, is that, is that the idea for you? Is it just a sure thing? Or are you thinking of, I want God to benefit because I am a man of God. I'm representing the interest of God. So I don't expect the staff of GTB to, to go to a, a UBA post and be saying, you guys are the best. <laughs> Staff of TTB, go to UBA post. That's just on business level. Say, you guys are the best. Nobody does banking like you guys. <laughs> you, say, you want them to sack you or what? Don't you know you are representing? You are a man of GTB. This, this is very applicable in the Christian faith. Don't you see many Christians, you ask yourself, on what side are you? Who, who are you supporting? You might imagine a, 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 a player of Chelsea. There was a player that did that. Abomeyang. He went to go and be taking selfie with, with Barcelona players. And Chelsea is paying your salary. They told him, you will never play again in our colors. That's the end of your Chelsea career. You went to go and be taking selfie because Barcelona is in Madrid. They take selfie with Barcelona. You travel to Spain. Who is paying your salary? You need to ask yourself, if you're a Christian, who is funding you? Why are you not representing the interest of the person who has ordained you, who has commanded you, who is governing you? Do you understand this now? 
So when we say a man of God, it's not ministry. Fundamentally, it's not ministry. It's a man who represents the agenda of God and the interests of God. The second implication of that phrase, man of God, is somebody who has successfully been immersed into the realities of God and who is full of God. Listen to me. You can be full of God. You don't have to be void of God, empty of God. You can be so full of God that everything you do brings God into the situation. So full of God, everything you say becomes the word of God. That was the life Jesus lived. So full of God, you no longer have a personal opinion on matters. Every time you give an idea, a suggestion, it becomes the word of the Lord. Your counseling sessions now become a prophetic expression. You can be so full of God. You become a man of God. People want to know what God thinks about a matter. They ask you, what's your opinion? Because they know your opinion is God's opinion. You can be so full of God. That's what it means to be a man of God. Not a man of yourself, not a man of your village. Some of you, when we ask you a question, you begin to give your village answer. Your great-grandfather's answer. What about to being full of God? Listen to me. God put you here so that you can represent his interest, so that you can be his man, so that you can be his scepter. Look at the song we sang. What an honor to be ordained, your man and your scepter. Do you know you are a Christian? Believer. You're supposed to be a man of God, a woman of God. Not a woman of fashion, not a woman of money, not a man of any other thing. Fundamentally, we're not saying those other things are not good, but fundamentally, when you are being described. There are people that have worked so much and so long for companies, they are called after the name of that company. There are footballers who did not play for any other club except one club. In those days, that doesn't happen anymore now. But in those days, we have people like Francisco Totti, one club man. They call him Mr. Roma. He played only for Roma from age 17 to age 35 when he retired. Only one club. They, we want to give you more salary. Let's buy you. No, I love Roma. I'm staying here. They now they are, they are, they are now described after the enterprise or the organization they have worked for. You should be a Mr. God, as it were, in the sense that. You have no longer a personal regalia. Your garment is God. Everything about you reminds people of God, brings God into the situation. That's what the Christian life is supposed to be like. Are you listening to me? That's what Jesus was like. They heard him teach and they said, wow. They glorified God who gave such power to men. They saw him do miracles and they worship God. How much worship is God getting out of your life? Because when people see you, people just bow down and say, ah, Elijah was such a man. As soon as he called fire from heaven, they laid prostrate and said, Surely Jehovah is God. How many people have you convinced that God is alive by your lifestyle, by your actions? That's what it means to be a man of God. That you can be on the earth and God will say, No, Allah. If that guy is there, those people will eventually agree that I am God. I don't have any points to prove except by the man I have sent. A man of God. It means a man who represents God's interests 
a man so immersed in God, so full of God. This is, I feel, the description of what we say, or the description of the phrase godliness. I would say a man is a godly man. You can be so godly that people forget you're a man. <laughs> so it's a godly man. You know, when we say people forget you're a man, it means that people will not expect you to make mistakes. They say to err is woman. And to forgive is divine. Is that not so? So when a man errs, they say he's a, he's a man. Everybody is a man. But you can be so godly that people don't expect you to fall. That if you fall, they'll say, ah, I thought you were a man of God. That's the standards that is supposed to be applicable for clergy. If a clergyman is involved in a moral scandal, they say, ah, say me in a pastor. Because there's an expectation of somebody who claims to be a man of God. But it's not just a ministerial issue. You as a Christian, filled with the Holy Ghost, temple of the Holy Ghost, you are a shrine, a shrine of God. People should look at you and not expect certain things from you. Ah, say this is a Christian. When you see born again, eh? where they catch, born again, police station, born again. That's why the, the world laughs at us. Say, ah, say, and he's not born again. No? Because they have an expectation from us. And we are falling flat. Say it after me. I'm a man of God. Man of God. A man who is immersed in God. So full. Number three here. Who is the man of God? The man of God is someone who commands divine results. Whose life expresses results that are divine. How does a man call down fire from heaven? A mere man. And yet James says he was woman like us. A man of like passions. <laughs> yet the things he did with prayer. The kind of results. The kind of results Elijah obtained. Is a resource that is available only in God. How can this be a normal woman? How do you call down fire? In the first Kings 18 scenario, he said, put water on the sacrifice. Put water again. Put water again. I don't want you to think it's a mistake. When the fire comes, let nobody think it was fluke. And he says, God, let it be clear that I've done all these things in your name. When you are immersed in God, you are beginning to represent God's interest. You begin to defend God's agenda and it becomes your ultimate obsession and desire. You begin to command the commands or command the results of God. The things you do, people will say, what? This is the finger of God. Only God can do this. Anybody who is doubting God, when they meet you, they'll say, ah, truly there's God. Ah, surely there's God. Your results shouldn't just be human. Supernatural abilities for the believer is to affirm that we are partaking or we have partaken or we have been made partakers of the divine nature. We are not just normal human beings. Say this after me, I'm not a normal human being. I'm a man of God. The results in your life cannot just be human. The arrangement of your life cannot just be human. Solomon Gandhi Born on uh, when? Just born on Monday, by married on Sunday, and then died, and then that's the end. Nothing, nothing divine about him. That is the end of Solomon Grandi. Come on! Come on! Holy Ghost carrier, there's more to you. You need to manifest and demonstrate something that people say, ah, wait, are you normal? I was listening to 
Corey Blake, who is um, a mentee. So, John G. Lake. <laughs> he said, when he goes out, he's a healing evangelist. So, when he goes out, people ask him, What do you do? So, he says, Ah! He always likes this kind of question. Especially when he's surrounded with several He said, He will act like he wants to tell them something very, very strange. He said, Come closer. It's a secret. Come closer. When they come, he said, You see these hands? So I go around and I put them on people. And when I do that, you know what happens? See, they get healed. So you are a healer? Something like that. See, <laughs> so, so there are little people like, are you a mobile hospital or what, what, what exactly? He says, no, his hands. She says, can I show you? Huh? See, right here, right here. You're sick in your knee. Say, how do you know? Say, don't worry, don't worry. Can I touch you? Ah, for airport. Hey, what you little? Are you a human being or you an angel? Who are you? By the time he touches them, and boom, and they are healed. Hey, they will ask him. Wait first. This hand, they will check. Is it normal hand? What kind of a man is this? That's how they spoke about Jesus. What manner of man is this? And when the storms hear him. That should be your testimony as a Christian. Contend for these things. A man of God. People should meet you and say, I, I, I cannot explain it to you, but Leyato, something about him. I can't wrap my head around it. He's a son of the wind. He does strange things. Are you following me? Yes. And begin from what you can begin from. He doesn't have to start from walking on water. Can start from forgiving your enemies, blessing those who curse you, loving those who hate you. Amen. Yeah. Let do something. Everybody will say, This is not normal. This is absolutely not normal. This is different. This, I, I thought he would take a different approach. He's not going the way I thought he would go. He's not reacting the way I thought he would react. Your life is supposed to command results that are divine. And then one last point here who is the man of God? Somebody whom God can express himself through very freely. A man of God is somebody whom God can freely express himself through. God wants to say many things. He needs his own people. He needs his men to rise. God wants to do many things. The pattern of God, however, is to use men. Nobody will ever have known that a man can call fire from heaven consistently, if not for people like Elijah. Thank God for Elijah. Thank God for Elijah. God wants to express himself. God is not docile, inactive, boring. He wants to do something in your generation, in your family, in your household, in your hostel. He's looking for his man through whom he can express himself freely. Why don't you just volunteer? I'll be God's man on the earth. I'll be God's man on my streets. I'll be God's man in my hostel. I'll be God's man in my neighborhood. I'll be God's man in my household. I will be God's man wherever I go. I will be a man that God will be free to express himself through me. He wouldn't even have to ask my permission. That's, that's life. That God wants to achieve something in this city. And he says, I found a man. David is my man. Judah is my man. Bimpe is my man. And I will do what I want to do with them. 
Stop making God look boring. Stop making God look unattractive. Stop making God look weak. Volunteer life as I want to be a man of God. I want to prove a point. And God is kind. God is generous. God is powerful. God is merciful. God is gracious. I want to be a man of God. Hallelujah. Amen. I said hallelujah. Amen. Let us go to a few other lessons beyond the man of God cliche from this man Elijah. Let's try and look at it very closely and very carefully from the beginning of the conversation in 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to him, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand. That's a very powerful statement also. Being a man of God means you will stand before God. You will interact with God. You will be intimate with God. You will know God. That's the same phrase the angel who spoke to Zechariah used. Don't you know who I am? I am an angel that stands before God's presence. Don't underrate me. I tell you this is how it's going to be. It's going to be like that. But Elijah affirmed here before whom I stand, there shall be no rain, not dew, for three years. According to my word. Very powerful statement there. Affirms that when you get to a point where God's interest is your interest, you can make decisions on behalf of God. And Elijah could say, according to my word. Even though James 5 tells us that he prayed earnestly. We don't see that here. That's another lesson we'll come back to. But even though Elijah began to act like he was the one doing it, James tells us actually it was an answer to prayer. Are you following me here? No, you see, that's why if you, if you say Elijah by God's power closed the heavens, you must also acknowledge Elijah by God's power brought down fire. You, you can't say by, by, by prayer he closed the heavens and later opened it. Then when it comes to now fire, you now change it and say it was not God, it was not heaven. That's attended to Elijah. Ah, Abba now. And it's not logical to reason like that. Are we still together here? But the key emphasis for this point in verse 2, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away. Shows you how Elijah lived. It was by the word of God. Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook chariot, which flows into the Jordan. And, I'll, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook and I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. Verse 5. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. There are so many lessons here. There's the lesson of geographical provision. Your provision sometimes is in a specific place. You must understand where your provision is. Amen. Amen. Some of you, the truth is that your wife is not here. Amen. Amen. This is what it is. When you are demanding provision, sometimes you need to ask, where is the provision? Elijah came and said, there will be no rain. And there was drought, there was famine, there was scarcity. So the word of God came and said, go to this particular place. I have commanded a bird to feed you. It's not every place that some specific blessings are. It's not every place. For some of you, a job is not here. For some of you, your destiny is not here. For some of you, it's not in Canada either. Don't assume because the grass is green, 
it means that your own blessing is there. There's a customized blessing in your name as in a particular place. You must identify that place and go there. Are you listening to me? There's nothing, honestly speaking, I'm not bragging, there's nothing stopping me from doing ministry at least anywhere in Nigeria. There's nothing. There's nothing. But I submit to divine leading principles. And if I'm here, I'm here because I know God has put me here. There's a place you should be at a particular time, at a particular season. But the emphasis I want to make here is this. The lesson you want to learn here, of course, you can just call it the lesson of provision. God will go every extent to provide for his own. Listen to me when I read a story as this. It occurs to me that for God to ordain a bird, a raven, to feed Elijah, there's nothing that God will not do to take care of me. There's nothing. The miracle of being fed by the ravens is an affirmation that God cares for your stomach infrastructure. He didn't say, Elijah, you have called down, you have, you have um, closed the heaven. Fasting and prayer, look who by you, I'm a fast, no. He didn't do that. God knew that Elijah needed to eat. Amen. He cared for the man. Of course, Elijah was a man of great fastings. Obviously, obviously. From the result, he commanded. He wasn't eating too much. But as soon as he gave the verdict, you see God began to orchestrate provisions for this man. God commanded the ravens to feed him. And then it says in verse 6, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. How many times is that? Read. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh. Just like bread and fish. It's one meal. In the morning and the bread and flesh in the evening. How many meals are those? Twice. Abi? How many times do you eat? I'm just, I'm just trying to. <laughs> Wanna be like Elijah? How many times did they shop? You know, if, if, if Elijah was the one that seemingly commanded the raven, you can say it was his own food timetable. But God knew that twice is enough. <laughs> Divine provisions are exact. God does not meet your greed. He meets your need. Exact and specific. The raven brought food, money, and you how many times? You go chop money. You go chop noon. Afternoon. Evening. Night. Midnight. <laughs> now why you never become like Elijah? You don't think Elijah level... But you they slow, they slow like crow, crow, they slow. Maybe now food they cost. <laughs> Are you listening to me here? Get it? Morning, then evening. And then you use water to top it up. A drank of the book. The best liquid is still water. Maybe what is slowing now is coke. Eh? A drank of the book. Anything God is if God is giving a particular diet, take uh, take note of that diet. You get why. Amen. He drank of the brook. Some of them never drink water today. And they cause several things, several diseases. Mamu, mamu. Drink water. <laughs> the Elijah level involves drinking water. 
<laughs> and then after the brook had dried up, go to verse 7 and verse 8. Come on. Verse 7 and verse 8, please. Came to pass after a while that the brook dried up. Simple lesson here. Some provisions can expire. Now your uncle is no longer sending money. It might have been that the brook has dried up. No vex. No be malice. No be fight. No be say he hates you. Could just be that the brook. Verse 8. The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded the widow, woman there, to sustain. From the unlikely sources, God always took care of Elijah. Unlikely sources. Ravens to feed a widow woman to sustain thee. And so, provisions may not come from where you are expecting. Amen. Yeah. Not come. Just keep your heart open to God. Second lesson here because of time here. Until somebody publicly stands for God, publicly, nothing will be done to advance the kingdom. The life and ministry of Elijah is a proof that secret Christianity cannot progress God's kingdom. Many of us do not know how terrible our lifestyles affect God's progress on the earth. Elijah was a public man of God. He was not a man of God that was serving God in his heart. God, see my heart. God, know I love him. God, know I'm serving him. Even if I don't show it. That was not the kind of Elijah or life Elijah lived. Elijah served God with his full chest. If you are serving Jesus, I beg, serve him with your full chest. If not, leave it. Amen. If you want to command the kind of result Elijah had, there's no room for hide and seek Christianity. Let people know you're a Christian. Let people know your values. Let people know where you stand. He came out. He told the people, if God is God, let's serve him. Let's do a public display. I don't want it to be a private meeting. I know God personally. I know you know God personally. But why don't you publicly display it? God loves public display of affection. God likes PDA. It's part of his love language. Amen. No, they disguise. They code them, they hide them, they code them, they hide them. They sing Elijah level. We don't know that until we take a stand for God publicly and it is loud. It's a stand that nobody can mistake. People are clear that this person is a God person, not God picking. Many things in the kingdom will not advance. The kingdom travels on the wings of public men of God. People who dare say some things in public. We are whispering too much. We should be audacious and begin to speak in public. I'm standing for Jesus. Let it be clear. I'm on the Lord's side. Let it be clear. I read the other day in Sokoto a man killed. In their own words for blaspheming, whether Muhammad or Allah, I'm not sure. And they publicly killed him. Sad. Sad. But I've seen people who do not serve the person we serve. I've seen them act as if their God can call down fire. Come on. God is too amazing, too wonderful. So mind blowing to hide serving him 
to code your service to him, to refuse to identify with him publicly. Anywhere I go, I let people know I'm a Christian. I'm born again. I'm born. I will put it in your face. I'm born again. I'm a Christian. These are my values. This is what I believe. These are my beliefs. Why should I hide it? And then some rogues, little kids, seven-year-olds will pick up stones to stone somebody for, for blaspheming against Allah. Then me, I'll be hiding my Jesus. Ah, ah, mm, ah, no, 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 no. Jesus died for you publicly. Stop living for him privately. The cross was a public humiliation. It was not in his heart. Amen. It was not online crucifixion. It was a public thing. I will not be a Christian and be hide. And this has stagnated the move of God on the earth. We need men in the order of Elijah who will publicly come out. I say, what is this? If God is God, let us serve him. And if I am a man of God, let fire fall. Such audacity. Number three here. <laughs> Even the greatest of men can become depressed, frustrated, exhausted because of fear and loneliness. Look at it in First Kings chapter 19. Remember that First Kings chapter 18, Elijah had called down fire from heaven and had called down rain from heaven. Okay, and verse first king verse chapter 19, the Bible says verse, verse 1, and he told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me. Please don't face, let the gods do to me. And more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow, about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. And came to Bathsheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servants there. But he himself went a day's journey unto the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. Depression is real. And said, This is enough. Suicidal thoughts is real. Now, oh Lord, take away my life. I'm not better than my fathers. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. Hallelujah. Amen. Even the best of us, by virtue of fear, loneliness, and fatigue, can become depressed, discouraged, in this case, suicidal. I don't know how it felt for Elijah that at one instance, you called fire. Look at the chain of events. You called fire. Heaven, and then God answered. Is that not so? The next thing you did was rain. God answered. The next thing you did was you outran the chariot of Ahab. And all of that was happening. And then suddenly you received a threat letter from the queen that I will cut your head the way you cut the heads of my prophets. And immediately depression set in. Women are fragile, Even men of God are still men. But the biggest lesson here is if you don't keep your ears and your eyes on the words of God, on the truth of life, you are still one step away 
from your greatest discouragement. Even after your biggest wins. Your biggest wins. Like, you have done marvelous things for God. You are still one step away from your biggest temptation if you don't keep your eyes on God's word. How does a man call down fire from heaven? And a woman threatens him with a letter. A letter. Elijah, you? But thank God, child, because if Elijah was in the right mood, he would say, if I be a man of God, let the person that brought the letter, and the person that knows the letter, the person that wrote the letter, roast. <laughs> so, maybe God was having mercy on Jezebel. That's why. Elijah, you, you threaten Elijah with a letter. Elijah. Fear no cash. And it didn't work. What's a powerful? Though? It didn't work. And Elijah began to run. He now went to a place and said, I am not better than my fathers. Wow. A man can forget all his achievements in one minute because of a letter. Jezebel. By the way, Jezebel was a very wicked woman. So, maybe Elijah considered her in the flesh. This woman. Because, I mean, Jezebel had killed several prophets, actually. Several. In fact, the point a servant, told, a servant of the king told Elijah, see, I actually go and hide some form of them in caves because Jezebel was just killing every prophet of God. Once you descend in the flesh and you begin to see people in the flesh, you lose sight of who you really are in the spirit. Yeah. Anything threatening you, if you look at it in the flesh, uh, you will succumb. You need to be aware of your supernatural identity. Keep that in your, on your mind. I am not a Christmas goat that anybody will just kill. Give me a break. Are you listening to me? Yes, Threat. Satan threatens people a lot. You hear them everywhere. People can make threats. If you, the truth is that if you focus on the threat, they will become real. When you hear a threat, first thing first, discard it. Destroy the threat. Destroy the threat. No, that cannot happen to me. Jezebel, you can't cut my head. I'm not like the prophet of Baal. I'm God's prophet. I'm Jehovah's prophet. My life is in his hands. But he succumbed to it. He believed it. He meditated upon it. And the background is saying, I'm not better than my fathers. Words are powerful. Sometimes why you have to shut down threats is because they paint imaginative pictures in your mind. Like that must have been imagining his head. <laughs> me. So he said, let me come and die now. I don't want to be beheaded. God, take my life now. But Elijah. Or what's a powerful? They paint pictures. Don't, don't, don't tolerate threats. Once you hear a threat, nullify it. No profession against me shall prosper. Every time I rise against me in judgment, I condemn. You nullify immediately. Don't begin to think, dwell on the thoughts. If not, you will notice you are beginning to agree with the verdict of Jezebel. But this was caused by fear and loneliness. Nobody to have you seen Elijah was always alone, seemingly. Well, he had a servant. The Bible says he left him there. But Elijah didn't have friends. In those days, saints were scarce. Nobody to rub shoulders with, to encourage. That's why he got easily exhausted. Many times we run on the strength of others, actually. Many times we need other people to keep us on the path of life, on the path of confidence. Nobody was with Elijah. God said there were 7,000 who are not bad about, but they were cowards hiding. They would not come out publicly and associate with God. Elijah, was, Elijah said, I'm the only one. Let's read 
further because this must be understood in the context here. It says in verse 10, Elijah, 1 Kings 19.10, please. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, turned down your altars, and killed your prophets. Listen to me. Zealousness for God is draining. Yeah. It's draining. We need other people to encourage you. I know what it is to be engaged in certain, certain ministerial battles where you are standing and fighting for integrity. And a couple of people who may not want to identify with you publicly send you an inbox message and say, Pastor, I did a great job. Well done. Right done. But they will not publicly say, Yes, sir. Because everybody is afraid of being criticized. Nobody wants to lose favor with the establishment. <laughs> you know, your sugar daddies and, general, and uh, God's generals will abandon you if they say that you are identified with someone like that. So they, they make it a private encouragement. Say, Right done, sir. God bless you. Yes, I'm out of time already. So let's look at this again. It says in verse 10, For children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, turned down your altars, killed the prophet with the sword. I am left alone, or alone I'm left, and they seek to take my life. Loneliness is very powerful, negatively. Please don't walk alone. We said that about David. Don't walk alone. Try and get somebody to encourage you, especially if you have a zeal for God. I know you think you're the only person who has it for God, but no, there will be a couple of other people. Try and check. Try and check. <laughs> when I came to this town, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody. Reverend Tulu Agbola, Apostle Tulu Agbola, only saw my post on Facebook once. And he just connected with me, with I've not met physically. And he wrote there, on the comment. He said, even though I've not known you, he said, I really appreciate you publicly. I didn't even know him either. I didn't know him. That was six years or five years ago. I was still shuffling between Lorraine and Gumosha that time. Never met before. So he was having a meeting in Lorraine. And I just went there. I met him and greeted him. And I was connected as Davis had connected Jonathan. And I saw a man whose values were similar to mine. And how many times I'm discouraged, how many times I am seemingly close to a depressive state and I know how much encouragement he sends. You're not alone. Keep fighting, soldier. If you are alone and you are fighting those battles, very dangerous. You might just, you might just say, well, it's not worth it. I want to die. I'm going to rest. Are you listening to me here? I'm out of time. Let me say one more thing, particularly from James chapter 5. Public result is a function of private life. That's the first lesson from Elijah. Elijah was a man of like passions. And he prayed. Nobody saw when he was praying. James 5, 17, please. All we are told was that in 1 Kings 17, he came and said, by my word, there will be no rain. But James teaches us that actually he prayed. Nobody saw him when he was praying. He prayed that no rain will fall. He prayed. What you saw him do was public declaration. But he had prayed in private. Are we together now? Many of you are making public declarations without private engagement. So Satan will turn into skits. 
L.U.P. Seventy-nine. L.U.P. Le temps est tombé, c'est tout ce qui est. I.D. Cree. Seventy-two. I.D. Cree. Seventy-four. You continue. Now only when everybody get out, you do. Ah, 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 I.D. For when nobody they watch, now phone you they press. Phone. Are, are you getting it now? You want to get public results? I go to a meeting. I see the people desire the move of the spirit. If I do anything publicly, it is a result of my private. Private. You don't know the private labels, the fastings and waitings and consecration. If I come and say one, two, three, uh, it's not. It. Go and try it. You know, don't, you don't know the secret place labor, the toils. But it's a principle. You want public results, get into private activities. When nobody is seeing you, what do you do? And the cameras of you, you are doing eight hours prayer life. Eight hours. As soon as the camera ends like this. Stand to your feet. Let's pray two, three minutes. I want to be a man of God. Just pray. Just pray. Judah, a man of God. That's, that's what I want to be my description. Not just because I'm a preacher. I want to represent the interest of God. Pray for yourself here. Pray for yourself here. A man of God. A man of God. A man of God. Oh, yes. I volunteer tonight. I am your man, Jesus. I am your man, Jesus. I am your man, Jesus. I'm your man, Jesus. If you need to do anything, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. I'm your man, Jesus. In this household, I'm your man. On this street, I'm your man. In this town, I'm your man. In this nation, I'm your man, Jesus. If you need to do anything, here am I. If you need to see anything, here am I. Here am I, oh God. Here am I, oh God. Choir, come up, stay there, sing that song. Father, oh, what a love you have on me, a model to be called yours, to share your image, divine. Pierre, we are singing, um, what song is that again now? Father, sing everybody. Oh, what a love you have on
set. Let's give an offering. We trust that you've been blessed by this teaching. We look forward to receiving your testimonies, prayer requests, and feedbacks. You can send us a mail at judamaye at yahoo.com. That is J-U-D-A-H-M-A-Y-E at yahoo.com. Till next time, remain in the consciousness of God's word and power. Thank you.